It begins like this. A babe wrapped in a manger. And that manger scene seemed like so long ago. She had been there before, but never for this reason. Preparations have been made so that they could do what generations before them had done. As she held her young child looking at him in his eyes, it were no longer the eyes of an infant, but of a month-old baby boy. His eyes now had switched from being glassy-eyed to now being able to gaze at her face and would follow her around the room. She was holding him and thinking about that divine night weeks ago with divine company that truly had become flesh. The last several weeks had been filled more with feeding schedules and changing of soiled garments and trying to find time for a nap because she's exhausted. Mary and Joseph have left Bethlehem and and are now in the city of Jerusalem, having come into the temple. They have come there as the generations before them have come since the Exodus. For it is their practice to offer sacrifices 40 days after birth and to redeem the firstborn son of the family. The law required that you would present yourself with two sacrifices, a lamb and a turtle dove or pigeon. The law also gave provision for those who lived in poverty, who did not have the material resources to buy a lamb and turtle dove to offer two pigeons. She had two pigeons with her. In the middle of the temple courts, there was a man. She had never met him. He had never met her. They had never seen each other. He wasn't a particularly famous man, though he was called righteous, who loved God and and spent significant time in God's word. And so he was saturated with what the prophets had foretold, that God would do one day in sending his anointed a savior. He remembered the promises of God through Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. I send my anointed to her, to shepherd her, to care for her, to redeem her. This man had been in the temple most days, and he was walking through the outer courts as this young couple, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus entered. And it's like a slow motion movie scene. Everything stopped. And he saw this young couple and this child. And he knew that what God had promised him, that he would not see death until he saw with his own eyes the Lord's anointed. He knew this child was him, the promised one of God. And so this man named Simeon walked towards this young couple. As everyone else continued to carry along in their normal activity, the priests were continuing in their normal activity of offering sacrifices. People were coming and going as though it was a Tuesday morning. Yet Simeon knew 
that in the midst of all of the ordinary, God was doing something altogether new. And he walked up to this young couple, took the child into his hands, looked up to the heavens and said, well, let's read it. Luke chapter 2 records this story for us. Just a month after the birth of Christ, starting in verse 27, Simeon, he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, now, you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Hearing this, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Hearing this, Mary and Joseph took a deep breath and thought to themselves, how is it that there are others that know what God is up to? Here's another character in the story that knows that God is doing something, has prepared something, is fulfilling something. And they marveled, it says, they marveled. It's like I took their breath away. They marveled at what Simeon said. What did Simeon say that was worth marveling at? Let's look at it. Simeon begins to say, Lord, now. Like Simeon has been waiting for the anointed one to be revealed. He's been in God's word, anticipating God's actions. And there's a now to it, which means the Christmas story is rooted in a historical event that happened in human history that people watched with their own eyes, that wrote about it so that you can have the certainty to know that it happened. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. This isn't a, a spiritual warm and fuzzies. This is a historical event in history. And so now God has acted in human history, in a timeline, on a date. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He can, he can now die peacefully. Now, we, we say to those who maybe pass in their old age and their sleep, they died in, died in peace or they peacefully went. But how do you die with your soul at peace? There are two things that have to happen in order for your soul to be at peace in order to depart. Two things are necessary. First and foremost, everything in your past has to be reconciled. You can't depart in peace if there's a whole bunch of things, wounds, relationships, divisions in your life that are unreconciled. Also, you have to have your future hopes realized. See, Jesus wouldn't bring ultimate full peace if it's like, yes to Jesus, but man, he sure can't do anything about my past. Or yes to Jesus, but there are some other things outside of Jesus I really hope for. What Simeon says or sees in Jesus are the wounds of his past reconciled and the hopes of his future fully realized. 
It's only Jesus that can bring true peace to reconcile what has happened and realize what the human heart craves. It's this Jesus. And so he says, now with my eyes on Jesus, I can depart, I can die. My soul is at peace. He says, according to your word. Jesus is not a new product to try for your problems. He is something promised and fulfilled. According to your word means according to your promises. You have promised to do this, and now you are doing it. God is faithful, trustworthy, and true. The prophets had proclaimed that God would one day come. He would come born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and that these, these people can now watch the life of Jesus unfold according to the scriptures. Simeon's eyes were opened according to the promises of God, which means you have the same access to what Simeon saw in order to understand who Jesus is according to his word, the things that he had promised. And he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What is salvation? When someone says, I, I want you to be saved or I have gotten saved, what does that mean? Salvation is always described as this way. For someone to be saved is to move somebody from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. To be saved is to be moved from a place of death to a place of life. So for Simeon to see God's salvation is that what God is going to do in helping human beings move from a place of bondage and sin and death to a place of freedom and life eternal. I have seen your salvation. This does not come from me, it comes from God. God has done this. It belongs to him. I have seen your salvation that you have prepared. That means that he has prepared for this moment in time. He has prepared to meet your needs. I love a casual get-together with friends where everyone just brings whatever and we can enjoy a potluck. It's also impressive when you go to someone's house who has prepared for you to be there. And you come to the dinner table and all the plates are set and you see that your name is written on a name card. And they have prepared a place for you at the table. And often we come to these gatherings with dietary needs. A good host would call and say, oh, we're making dinner. Do you have any dietary restrictions? Are you gluten-free? Are you dairy-free? I would like to make sure that we are prepared for you. And often people who have dietary restrictions say, I don't want to be needy. I'll eat around whatever. Don't make accommodations for me. It's okay to be needy. You be gluten-free, dairy-free. I'm vegan-free. We all have certain things. But here's the key about God. God knows you're needy. He knows you're needy. He knows you're problematic. He knows your issues. And Jesus is prepared to meet your needs. You see, oftentimes when we have needy people in our life, we distance ourselves from them. When there are situations that are needy or conversations that lead to neediness, we will separate ourselves from those things. God, in the Christmas story, sees the mess you're in, sees your neediness, and says, 
I want to draw near. That's a Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us in our neediness. And he has prepared to meet your needs. He is the all-sufficient Savior. He is the only sacrifice that will work. And so he comes not only promised, but prepared. And he says he's prepared in the presence of all peoples. That this is not just for a select few, not just for the clever ones, the rich ones, the strong ones, the mighty ones. It's for all peoples. You see, when Mary and Joseph and Jesus enter into the temple courts, they're coming into the outer courts called the court of Gentiles, the court of the nations. And it gets increasingly more restrictive as it gets to the centerpiece of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the most restricted place in the temple where only one person, the high priest, has permission to access it one time a year. But then from there, it moves back out from the high priest to the priests to Jewish men to Jewish women to the court of Gentiles, the nations. And it's in the court of Gentiles that the salvation for the Gentiles, for the nations, is seen by Simeon. I love that. What has been promised and prepared for all nations is now revealed in the court of all nations. And so he goes on. He says, this is a light. A light that's going to penetrate the darkness. We use this terminology still today. Darkness is equated for what is evil, what is wrong, what needs to be fixed. Light needs to come into darkness to bring truth, to bring correction, to bring life. And so this Jesus is not simply a light, but he's going to be the light. And it's a light for two reasons. For revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Revelation is the revealing, to open up eyes, to expose and to show what would otherwise not have been known. Jesus Christ is to open the eyes of the world to see that there is a God and God cares about you. And God cares about the mess we're in and that God has come to do something about it. He is a light to the Gentiles. The Jews had divided the world into two camps. Jews and everybody else. They call them Gentiles. And so this Jesus is to reveal to the world that's not Jewish that God is for them. God is their creator and loves them. And it's also for the glory of your people Israel. Israel is the chosen people of God. God has chosen them and their laws and their ways and their practices to be the context in which Jesus would come. How do you know Jesus is the Messiah? It's because he comes into the context of Israel that has been promised and prepared. And they get glory for it. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus comes into a Jewish family. Jewish, Jesus lives a Jewish life. And so this is a light Light are the ways in which we experience life in the midst of our darkness. This is why we will light a candle at Christmas Eve. And Jesus is the light that we all need in our life. We can feel the darkness. We can look around the world and we sense the darkness, sense the division, sense the death and all the issues. And we're looking for a light that will penetrate the darkness and show us a way forward. Perhaps you're looking for a light to come into your life and just show you the way forward in your marriage, in your family, in your singleness. Jesus is the light. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, announcing his activity. Jesus says in 4.16, The people dwell in darkness, have seen a great light. 
And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. We live in the region of death. The shadow of death is the world where we live. And a light has dawned, Jesus says. John chapter 8, verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light not only helps you see, it is the light that brings, procures, produces life. This is what he says in John chapter 12, Verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. God desires that you would move from darkness to light. But here's the verdict John tells us, that light came into the world and men love darkness because darkness conceals our behavior. And for all those who hate the light showing up in their life to reveal their darkness, they oppose the light. But for those who are sick and tired of their darkness, they love the light and come to the light. This is what Simeon says to Mary in conclusion. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is going to show up as light, and he's going to reveal people's hearts if they love darkness or not. He's going to be a sign opposed, which means Jesus is going to cause problems. There are going to be people that see the life of Jesus and say, I will do whatever I can to get Jesus out of my life. And there are people that will say, I will do whatever I can to get Jesus in my life. And the way in which you watch the world treat your son, Mary, is going to be like a sword that crushes your own soul. You're holding this sweet child right now. But one day, they're going to nail him to a cross. And you'll stand at the foot of that cross and you will cry tears of anguish because the world that hates the light will put him to death. But whosoever loves the light, loves this Jesus, he gives them the light of life. He gives them life. For in his death, he rose. And in his resurrection is the authenticating evidence that he is truly the son of God come to be Emmanuel, God with us. The one promised, the one prepared to meet our deepest needs, our bondage to sin and to death. No matter how you got here, I'm so glad you're here. And some of us in the room have doubts and say, I don't even know how God got here. But we'd want you to say, I'm so glad he's here. And so we move into a time of darkness, and then we'll light a candle. And the re reason we do that is we sit in darkness to feel what it is to have life without God. It's dark. It's uncomfortable. And then we remind ourselves that in the middle of darkness, a light came, Jesus, the light of the world, and penetrated that darkness and began to spread. And as you hold that candle in front of you, 
I want you to think of Simeon holding Jesus. This light is the light of life. And God desires to be closer to you than you holding that candle if you have eyes to see who he truly is. And so let's move now into darkness. Darkness. 